I've had, I've had more sex with no foreplay than I have foreplay with no sex. Mm-hmm. I feel like fore, foreplay is inevitably going to lead you to sex. But if we're able to become satisfied with just foreplay, then I think I would... Ra- because it doesn't mean you can never have sex. It just means in one instance, would you rather have... So um, I think I'd say I'd rather have really good foreplay and no sex with a person and be able to do that. But, you know, we'd still be able to have sex when we want to. This is Melody Kush. This is Lana Del Bay. Hey, sex squad. Check out Sex Tales right now. Sex Tales. I mean, happy camps on them. Yes. Hey, sex squad. We're back with a new episode of Sex Tales. I am Lana Del Bay, a full-time Chatterbait cam model, content creator, and sit-down comedian. Hey, what's up? My name is Melody Kush. I am also a Chatterbait broadcaster and a professional masturbator. And today we are so excited about our guest. She is a pillar in the NYC community. She is an activist, a singer, a songwriter, and a finalist on season nine of RuPaul's Drag Race. We are pleased to welcome the wonderful Peppermint. Thank you for joining us. Hey, ladies. (laughs) And you... Uh, performed by the name Peppermint. How did you come up with that name? You know, Peppermint's my favorite candy. (laughs) It's as simple as that. But I was in, um, years ago, when I say years, I mean like decades ago, I was with uh, this boy that I had the biggest crush on. Oh my gosh, I had the biggest crush on in James. And we were sitting in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven, as people do uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, he, I was like hoping this was going to be our moment. I had a mouthful of peppermints. I was like, we had just gotten peppermints. And he was like, you should just call yourself peppermint. And I was like, okay. And then that was just, it just became my name. He just renamed me. Um, and I accepted like, it. Whatever you say. <laughs> That's so cute. And you used to perform by another name though. Your other name is also candy related. What was that? Peppermint Gummy Bear was my full name so it was peppermint and then that was just like my first name and then but i wasn't like professionally doing drag at that moment that was just the name that i got um like my little nickname and then eventually it became my name that i would perform during drag um when it became peppermint gummy bear because i thought it needed more pizzazz than just the name the word peppermint but then when i got older and became more serious People already, like, having a food name, you know, like, as a first name, people would kind of, like, oh, chuckle. But then when it was, like, a food, a can- like, a spice and a candy, people were, like, what is this, like, thinking they're going to, you know, like, strawberry shortcake? Like, it was just too juvenile, I think, for some people. And I wanted to be sexy. And I wanted to have, like, a one name, you know, share Madonna, Peppermint. And so then I dropped... I got a divorce and I got I dropped the last name Gummy Bear. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. And one of my favorite looks when you were on season nine of Drag Race was the Club Kid look. I come from the late 90s rave scene. I have a very huge appreciation for the Club Kid look. Your decked out peppermint look, it was so on brand. It was fantastic. And I just had to share that because that was like my favorite look of the whole season. Thank you. Yeah, it was designed... Uh, <laughs> by Delicia, uh, who is also a club kid um, and model and um, performer. Uh, And she made that look and a few other looks for me on the show. 
And of course, you know, all the other looks, I was kind of like, um, you know, kind of wishy-washy about. Like, you know, they would. They, there was one look that was like um, early 2000s celebutant look. And I was like, what is that? But then when they said club kid, I was like, oh, I know what this is. And it was easy because I also worked uh. in the club scene. That's how I got my start in the in the 90s in the clubs. All right. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what first inspired you to try drag and some of your icons within that community? Yeah, well, I think I was really in search in, in when I was growing up as a teenager, things are diff- were different than they are now. And so I was very, I was really kind of thirsty and hungry for, you know, images that kind of reaffirmed of who I am. And I was on this constant, I would say all of high school and just after, I was on this constant search for, to consume anything that resonated with, like, with me. You know, that's the only way I was able to look at it. Looking at later, you know, now I'm able to kind of dissect that a little bit and assign some words to it because there's all this, you know, thought behind it now. But back then I was just like, what feels like me? I need my people. I need people that act and look and act like me. And, you know, those are queer people, maybe drag queens, trans people. I don't know what they just somebody that's not like, you know, who who everyone else is thinking is, quote, unquote, normal. Right. Not um, any I'm not Karen. saying that that's normal, but, you know. <laughs> and so I am. Um, yeah, I was on a constant search. And so, of course, you know, it drew me to things like I mean, it was like it went from MTV and real world to like, you know, um, the Spice Girls and drag like that was like the path <laughs> and um uh, the icons were you know rupaul of course uh lady bunny mistress for micah later on i was able to see some of these ladies a lot of people that were written about in the book um party monster and disco bloodbath by james st james party monster by michael alig who recently died um the the people who were, would become the the main characters in the movie Party Monster. Um, I was working in the New York City clubs in 1997 is when I got here. Um, and so I knew a lot of these people and they really kind of took me under their wing. But what started, what got me into it is like, you know, I was a kid. I was, I put on, I didn't put on lashes, but I put on my first, like I would dress in my mom's clothing, which is not that unusual, but... I found lots of solace and respite in my mother's closet. Um, And, you know, I think that was, drag was the most acceptable way, socially acceptable way for me to express, you know, this feminine energy that I needed to express without being reprimanded or punished. You know, every other way, if I would try to express that, then people would say, they would correct me. They would police me. They would tell me that's not for you, you know. But if I was, as growing older, being able to be in drag, then people would, like, throw money at you. And so I was like, well, this is obviously where it is. Um, Had I grown up in the 2000s or now, I, I might not have ever tried drag because I probably would have just transitioned. But drag allowed me the opportunity and the space to figure out what, what that meant for me. That is really cool. Do you feel like you're able to let drag go a lot now because it is more socially acceptable to just be a trans woman? Um, yes and no. <laughs> um, 
drag is, my saying is once a queen, always a queen. And so, you know, you're going <laughs> to, there will never be a, a house that I'm living in that doesn't have glitter and wigs and lashes in it. I mean, um, same. <laughs> I mean, hello, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> Can relate. I, I, I used to, it's really interesting. I used to take the art of drag, the craft of drag, extremely seriously. I remember when I was early in my career, working at all the clubs and, and introducing myself to people, there was other queens, all, there's always type, all types of drag performers. And for, the, you know, there's comedy queens, there's, you know, uh, you know, dr- dramedy queens, there's, um, you know, model, you know, fashion girls. And so like, there's all these different types. And I never really fit into any of those groups. And I only thing I really cared about at the time was I was just like, I just want to look like a woman. That's it. And and I know now that that is probably what was con- was connecting to my sense of transness and my womanhood. Um, and so you would never have caught me in like an odd, an, an, like blue hair. You wouldn't see me in blue hair and blue lipstick. You just wouldn't. I'm not saying that blue or purple hair isn't the thing. But back then, you wouldn't have seen me in it because it would have kind of aligned me with more of a campier look. Um, and it wasn't until I had really started my medical transition and kind of come into my, come full circle with my transness that I was able to say, you know what? I can, I can wear blue hair or whatever. I'm still a woman. You know, like then it allowed me to kind of embrace the campier side of drag. Um, but now that I've, Start, you know, expanded my career. Um, you know, I realize that there's lots of things that I can do in this body that will not only earn me money, but also, um, bring me joy and, you know, bring me new experiences. One of those things is drag. But then, you know, I can also sing. I can also, you know, do a show, a play, act. I can write something. Um, you know, create something that, that doesn't necessarily have to do with drag. And so drag is, you know, I've earned a career in drag and it's my main career, but it's not, um, it's a main component to my career, but it's not the only thing in my career. I guess that's the best way to say it. Yeah, no, and that makes total sense. And look at you now, you're doing all those things you just listed and mentioned. So uh, I'm so happy that you were able to get a platform and, you know, help you self-realize and really just go for what you want. So that's great. And I know you did you did some Broadway as well. I did some Broadway. It was I mean, I it was difficult. It was I wish I could like breeze it and say I just did a little Broadway. It was it was um <laughs> it was tough. I opened a show and anyone who's listening to me, do not open a Broadway show. If you get the opportunity, pass and let somebody else do it and then go in and fill in later on when everything's already set because it's like building a building versus just walking into it. You know what I mean? And we, you know, it was months of hard work. It was very rewarding. We became a family, of course. Uh, But it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And so when someone says they originated a role on Broadway, that role will forever be connected to that person and what they were going through at that moment and who they are. And so I don't take that lightly. For instance, when I I just literally just pushed stop on the movie Rent, uh, after staying up all night watching YouTube videos of the Broadway performance, um, uh, which I saw, that was the first Broadway show I ever saw. And it was the recently the 25th anniversary 
of the show. And so then, of course, it's on my mind. And whenever I think of any of the characters from from the story Rent or from the show or anything, I think of the original characters, the original voice, the first time I saw their pictures. And so I think maybe in 25 years, I'll have that impact on somebody else. And so for me, it's not like, oh, I just did a little Broadway. It, it feels... Um, something it feels like something that was so much bigger than me you know i i love broadway as well i was i was a strange child and i used to listen to these um these this band or group of children called the broadway kids so i know all of the broadway songs there's this group of kids that would just sing broadway songs and i was just obsessed with it i also love rent i love the i saw the youtube video from the uh people's inauguration of everybody singing seasons of love that was so beautiful. It made me cry. I love that. It was, it was real. That was an un, un, unexpected emotional moment. And I think there was a lot of, you know, um, it was just came at that time in the show. I, I didn't know. I, they asked me to do it and I didn't know if, if they were going to use it or if it was going to be on or where or just like on the internet. Um, and then it actually broadcast during the event that night. And, you know, wow. I was, getting all these text messages. They're like, I love you in the inauguration. I'm what? Um, but it was an emotional moment uh, as well. Wow. And I was able to be a part of this. And there was people from the original cast of Rent in the um, in that product, in that performance. Right. That must so have been nice. such a beautiful thing because you said that it was such like a, it's so sentimental to you. That must have made it even more special to be able to be a part of something like that with the original cast members. And with the anniversary really, so soon. Yeah. yeah, it really was. I didn't even realize that it was the anniversary coming up when we had done it. You know, it just, I didn't, you know. Um, but I do, it has me thinking back to that, t- those, that time back in 1996 when, um, when I went I was to wondering. go see the what? show. It was one. <laughs> go to hell. Go to oh hell. Um, and, my crib, excuse me. <laughs> Um, but I, it was, it was my first Broadway show, like I said, and it was the first time, obviously it was the first time I'd seen anything on Broadway, but it's, it made such an impact on me, that show. I could have seen any show and we saw that show. I'd never seen queer folks dancing around and being like the leads, the stars of a Broadway show. I'd never seen, uh, you know, drag performers, uh, the role of Angel is kind of, you know, I believe sort of trans and drag, but definitely a drag performer. Um... And I'd never seen that. And for years, it, obviously Rent like was a hit. It changed the way musical, it gave a new sort of branch to musical theater. For a while it made Broadway kind of cool for people again, which is hard to imagine, but there was a moment in time when Broadway just felt stuffy um, right before Rent came out. And so, uh, you know, not to overuse 90s um, pop culture, but... I would say Rent was like the the real world of like of Broadway, you know, if that makes any sense. It just like completely revolutionized it. Just like the real world revolutionized television cuz now there's all this reality television. It was the first real reality television show. And so, yeah, it was um uh, it was a great moment. <laughs> no, I love these stories. Uh, I'd be curious to know if you had any like uh, superstitious things you do before a performance on Broadway. Like, I, I know some baseball players have their things. They got to go through this whole motion. Spinning of, around the bat or something. Before they can get, 
Yeah, exactly. Is there anything like that in Broadway? Did you do anything you know, like that? I, I didn't really have a lot of superstitious things. I, I don't really have that much experience on Broadway to have built up like a, a you know, um, sort of tradition of things. There are some things in in the Broadway, in Broadway tradition, um, you know, like, you know, talking about like the, always putting on this light. I never understood it in a theater at the end of the night, they shut off the, all the electricity except for one light, and they put it in the middle of the stage. And if you've ever seen, like, even if you see movies where there's a theater, there'll be, a, like, a light on a stand in the middle of the thing. And that's called the ghost light. And I have never understood what that was about. But, you know, if you turn off all the lights, then I guess the spirits get unhappy or something crazy like that. Um, and so every theater has a ghost light. And it's just like, the you don't need that. You could have the, the, the lights on the ceiling on. They turn off all the lights and put the light on the stage. Anyway, so those are those traditions. I didn't do those. That was for the stage hands and things. But I think the things that we ended up doing um, every single night, like I would go in and because I needed to warm my voice up, I would, I had my little teapot and I would make my tea every single night. And I actually, after a few months of doing that repetitively, it became, you know, a, a tradition for me. And so when we were cleaning out the theater, the the way that I would get, go from my dressing room to the stage, um, sometimes there would be little notes, things like that. And you would, and and then um, some of the some of the kids would have like a um, like a handshake that they would do, just like a to encourage each other to go on. But then on closing Aww. night, that became really sentimental, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Aw, that's so sweet. I love that. I love that so And you have a new album, which is, I think, out now. You have some music videos coming out. You have a short film coming out. You have a lot going on. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I was in a relationship recently, and it was like the um, the great, the best and worst thing of my life. Um, As well as Naturally, in, hello, naturally in the in the style of uh, Taylor Swift and, and every musician, um, I decided to write about it. And uh, I cre- basically created the album that I always wanted to hear as a young trans girl. Um, you know, I think a lot of times w- there's all these stars that we hear, musicians and singers that we know are queer or gay or whatever, by they come out a lot of times that ends up happening after their, their, the height of their fame. We never really get to hear or see stories and images of queerness represented in mainstream music. We hear so many stories of gay singers who would have to like and and actors who were like commissioned to like have a beard and like marry so and so as their partner you know just so that they appeared to be heterosexual you know for the world like freddie mercury yeah exactly um and so i you know obviously i ain't doing that but i um i wanted to create an (laughs) album that was able to showcase what I went through in a really honest way. I was in a relationship with someone. We were in love. It was wonderful. Then it obviously ended. But like, I've never seen anyone or heard another trans woman or anyone sing about being in a relationship with a trans person. I've just never heard it. And so I decided to do it. And so the album is called A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers. It's out right now. Um, It's basically about the beginning, the middle, and end of the relationship. So there's three EPs. And the first one is the beginning of the relationship, obviously. It just it's just came out in the fall. The next EP comes out this spring. 
And so we have a short film that is scored by my music. Um, and it's uh, features uh, another pop, I don't, well, a friend of mine who plays my love interest, who um, is also a content creator. Uh, his name is Levi Smith. Goes by Hella for Sleuths. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I absolutely know who yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> I was subscribed to their OnlyFans yeah. for a little while. <laughs> and so um, he plays my partner in the in the short film. And oh, you're kidding. Oh my god, I've got goosebumps. I can't wait. That's well, the music cool. video just came out today because some of the music videos are like snippets of the short film. And so the music video uh, for Best Sex came out a few weeks ago. And then the, the music video for um, Every Morning, we just dropped. So I'd love for everyone to go and listen and watch Every Morning. You can see me and Levi. The more X-rated version of this stuff is in the short film, which comes out later on this, this month. But the music video is available on YouTube right now? Absolutely. Yeah? Okay, cool. Well, everybody uh -huh. should check that out. It's youtube.com slash Miss Peppermint, if I'm correct. It's Peppermint 247. Peppermint 247. Okay. I thought your yeah. uh, YouTube was Miss Peppermint. My bad. I'm sorry. It. They both, you know, it is, but the um, the URL is 247. But mm. you can, it's weird. Now that I have this, it's it's... Just anybody can Google peppermint. You'll find it. <laughs> Are you feeling socially distanced from your bank account? It's time to stimulate yourself and your wallet by broadcasting on Chatterbait. Make new friends only naked. Broadcast from home in a private environment, offering the safest sex on the planet and a great way to make extra income. Head over to chatterbait.com and start making money from home today. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about what inspires you? You said your breakup inspires you. Do you have any rituals or just like things that you do throughout your career and your life that inspire you creatively, be it musically or any type of creative process that you have? Um, I don't have any rituals that inspire me. Um, do you have uh, what singers inspire you? What oh uh, musically? What do you look my up musical to? inspirations and the heavy musical inspirations for this album. It's the first I've in the past. I've always done like club music, um, you know, dance music. This is the first time I've ever done straight up R and B. It's '90s R and B, and so that's what this album is. Um, and so my inspiration uh, for that for musically were are a lot of. Um, R&B and Neo Soul, uh, which is basically the, the album, the category of R&B in the early 2000s, like Lauryn Hill. The, those artists uh, heavily inspired me. People, people like Lauryn Hill, Tony Braxton, Prince, Sade. Those are my um, musical inspirations for this album. And in general, Janet Jackson is a huge inspiration. Anybody that listens to this oh, album, yeah. so many people, the biggest compliment that I've gotten so far as from people is that they said that the album itself reminds them of something that Janet Jackson would do. And that obviously oh, is a huge, huge compliment, compliment. including the nipple slip. <laughs> right? Like, <what? laughs> yeah, you, you needed to pop that at the inauguration. Hello. Yeah? <laughs> Seasons of love. <laughs> oh my God. And I mean, you you grew or you you arrived in New York. You said in the late nineties, and uh, you used to work at the Tunnel, as you had mentioned. Can you tell us a bit about the New York party scene and 
like what the secret is to throwing a good party in NYC. Because I imagine like the competition out there is stiff. You got to you got to really set yourself apart, right? I think so. Uh, you have to make a big splash. And I don't really know, you know, obviously these days, uh, club, club life has been put on hold like most things. Like life um, in general? But, like life in general. <laughs> uh, it, it does seem like nightlife and theater are going to be two of the things that come back last that, you know, because of safety concerns and, you know, it's just, you can't really crowd everyone into a room. Um, and so it's, it, that's really sad. Uh, I do want to just kind of punctuate that, like the things that I've been talking about, nightlife and theater, these folks are struggling to, so people that are stars of Broadway, who've done Broadway shows, 10 Broadway shows, are struggling paying their bills, don't have health insurance right now. And so, you know, not that that's any worse than anyone else, but um, I'm hopeful that we can get, you know, the stuff under control. I digress. The New York City club scene, uh, it's been through a lot of changes. Um, It was really rambunctious and notorious in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. And then when there was this murder in Clubland by Michael Alec, who I mentioned earlier, uh, killed a a drug dealer, uh, killed someone who was involved in the party scene and allegedly selling drugs um, by the name of Angel. Uh, That's the name that he went by. And he was killed, um, viciously dismembered. It was disgusting. Decapitated, body sewn into pieces. Ripped it, you know, cut into pieces oh my goodness. in a in a in a drug filled rage, <clears throat> um, and then his body was dumped into the the river, uh, and then they didn't find his body for a year. And so, during that time, everything was going on. You, I mean, Michael Alec went on um, a tour, not to be a historian here, but went on a tour uh, on the Geraldo show, on all these, uh, probably on Phil Donahue, which were daytime talk shows. Um, the equivalent of Wendy Williams uh, and The View, and went on these shows and brought his club kids with him. Um, and this is when the nation was really introduced to, like, people with, you know, neon hair and glitter on their whole face and, like, yes. all of that. And so yes. that really revolutionized the club scene and brought so many people to New York. But what ended up happening is was, just like anything, it became too much of a good thing. You could do drugs. People were ha- fucking in the corner. It was just like anything, whatever you wanted. And event, and then there was, when I was working at the tunnel, which was later, people were like still overdosing. Like people would just die. And then I worked there. So I knew this. It's probably not good to, mm-hmm. to, <laughs> to mention. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 you would, the protocol was that you're supposed to alert security before you call the police and security would take care of it. And I happened, I believe that security would just take people's bodies that were motionless and just put them outside on the street in the back. They wouldn't like call for help. It was a completely different world, right? There, were, there was no liability. There was nothing on paper. And so the, 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 the government, but the local government, the mayor, Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> cut, cracked down on it and really took all of that out. My first trip to New York City was in the 90s, obviously, before I moved here. And that first night I was walking around. I got on the bus just out of drag and then got off the bus in drag. We got 
me and my girlfriend, nice, Kia Rice, she got Thunder Pussy, got in the drag on the bus, and we were walking around New York City for 14 hours. And honey, our feet hurt. Wow. We didn't have a dime. I don't even think we ate. But we were so excited and got all this energy because I, we were walk. I, I swear to God, I fell in love because I walked by and there's the hottest guy and it was, he was like glowing, the like street light was hitting him. I was like, what's happening? Um, and we were walked by, uh, you know, one street and, you know, there was all of these um, people scantily clad, leaning against the wall and like, hey, what you want? Like opening up their thing. Um, and, you know, I saw th- this woman, uh, she was like, sh- looked like she was floating down the street past us. She was walking, but it looked, she might as well have been floating. And she opened up her jacket and she had these huge boobs, nothing, no shirt or anything on, huge boobs, shook them a couple times and closed her thing. And all of a sudden, all of the cars that were parked on the street, the lights turned on. And the guy and the people in the car just drove to follow her down the street. Obviously, she was a sex worker. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is like so fun. And like the, the 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 vibe in New York City back then was, you know, that place that I walked by all those people, those were like, you know, sex workers and their like, I guess you would call them managers. They were their pimps. They were definitely their pimps. Um, you know, I don't know any other nice word for pimp, <laughs> but um, <laughs> agent, <laughs> trafficker. I don't know. Um, I don't no, know. Especially, <laughs> Back then, back then, the term was Yeah, pimp. back then, the term was pimp. And so that I was right on, I was right in Times Square. I was at um, uh, Port Authority Times Square, which is where so many people go now to, you know, before the pandemic for to go see their Broadway shows and get their, you know, nails done and go go to take the family for dinner. Um, and that's where this was. And so it really changed. But at that one time in New York, you didn't, you knew you wanted to go out because there was no social media. If you wanted to socialize, you needed to go out. And you knew that you were going to go out and we're just going to have a good time. And we don't know what's going to, I might, I don't know if I'm going to have sex or fall in love or get killed, but <laughs> one of them is going to have, or all of the above, I'm down for it. You never know what's going to happen in the Big Apple. You right? never know. And that's what it was, that's what it was like. And I mean... You know, you may not have participated in any after work orgies or anything like that, but um, kid, do you have, can you maybe share a story of the craziest place you've had sex? Well, I mean, I like all, I'll just say that many of the girls, meaning the, the drag entertainers there, because we were like a gang, you know, I know a lot of people understand sort of drag terminology as like houses in the ballroom scene, which is very borrowed heavily from the ballroom scene. And that, time um it was more like just a a gang of queens and we weren't there wasn't like a mother or a daughter it was just like the girls but it was a gang and we were all there um and everyone had their role (laughs) and so um Ah. we uh (laughs) we all but we all took turns taking a cute boy back to the back of the thing um there was like there was in in these these nightclubs were just put up in and thrown together in these like warehouses or big cavernous buildings. Um, the movie Kids, I, I keep referencing all this old stuff. If anybody's ever seen the movie Kids, uh, the club that they were- Many times. Yeah, you haven't? 
No, I have. I actually have seen that. They were playing it at okay, actually good. an after party oh, of yay. a rave one time. And I was like, what are we watching? They're like, wow, have you never seen this movie? And I was like, now I have. Yeah. <laughs> well, that club that they go to, that Chloe Sevigny goes and gets her drugs from, and that there's a there's an orgy, like a little, three, it's not orgy, like a little three-way in the bathroom. That takes place at the tunnel. It was like that. You just go into a dark place. Oh. They they. It doesn't take place at the tunnel in the story. They sh- they filmed it at the tunnel. Oh, okay, okay, I was yeah, like, they wait filmed a minute. it at the tunnel. <laughs> um, but that's not the name of the club that they're saying in the in the story. But they filmed it at the tunnel. So oh. I worked at that same place that they filmed oh, it. Oh, interesting. At. Um, and the um, but you could just wander in. So I knew where all the secret passages were. Um, and we would run to them. We would use those secret passages every time. I mean, there would be. We got, when we were getting raided by the cops, you would go up the stairs and go to the right and then go in the back and go through the thing that doesn't look like a door. Um, and then you'd wait if you work there. You just wait in the back, um, you know, behind the wall, basically. And then if you were, um, you know, wow. going to take, that's also where you would take somebody if you're going to go have a little hookup during the night. And it was so bizarre. I mean, there was like, you know, guys that would like come into the the club. And I at one time I was the door girl. And there was two entrances. I have too many stories for y'all. You have so many questions and I have so much to say. Oh. The club was basically half straight, half gay. And there was two entrances, a straight entrance and a gay entrance. The straight entrance, you would go in and you just had access to the straight entrance. The gay entrance, you could go in the gay entrance and you had access to the whole club. So naturally, and the gay entrance was cheaper. I have no idea what was going on. So naturally, yes. everyone <laughs> wanted to go through the gay entrance. And you would see, I was the door girl at one time, and there was couples, uh, heterosexual appearing couples, walking down to the entrance, and then you would see them switch. And the two girls would go together, and the two guys would walk together. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, we're, because you, you would, it was meant as a safe haven. It was mostly gay people going in there. And so, like, you know, it's so unethical today. But back then you would say, are you gay? You know, and ask them. <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah. And, you know, people who were not gay were not like, yeah, I'm gay. Like, they're just, that just wasn't happening. Um, and, yeah. but there, then there started to be, once they caught on, once the straights caught on, which always ends up happening, the straights kind of catch on. Once the straights <laughs> caught on, they started coming to the, the gay entrance and switching partners and saying they're gay. And then I'd be like, oh yeah, that's your boyfriend? You're gay? kiss him and like I, oh my god yeah. sometimes it would happen and then then it would be like the, of course the girls would do it and then the guys would do it and then later on you'd see that one guy like roaming around like looking like something was awakened and that was usually the one that would end up in that back secret passage <laughs> oh that's amazing did you ever have people that were just like I'm not kissing him and switch lives oh yeah either. definitely there was most of the people that would get there would be like oh never mind and they would just go back to the li- to the other line which is all the way down to the other end of the block <laughs> see I mean I'm, I live in Montreal and here I mean we have a pretty well we had a pretty strong club scene and there was there was a bar called Stereo and they didn't have se- they don't have separate entrances but there's definitely the Friday night is the techno crowd the Saturday night is the gay house crowd and that's just the way it's mm-hmm. always been. It's always the Saturday nights. Saturday night is queer night. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's, it's so interesting to see that how it was, for lack of a better term, segregated back yeah. then. Yeah, well, it, it, it was crazy. segregated in, in, and it wasn't, it was mostly because the tunnel was a, um, 
I mean, the tunnel was a legendary club. It, they had hip hop night, just just like you mentioned at stereo. They have all these different nights. It was mostly um, separated by the type of music, right? But then, and who it would attract. So hip hop night attracted one crowd. The the like techno night and house night attracted another crowd. And yada yada. And so gay folks who wanted to hear like the the straight crowd wanted to hear like this hard sort of techno music, and the and the gay crowd definitely wanted to hear the house music and like disco house and things like that. And so then that just, I think, ended up kind of being what would um, delineate who was going to go through what door. Uh, and then eventually they put, um, they named it, the cur- it was called Curfew was the name of the party. They named it the Curfew Party and they put that entrance up. And really, um, it was advertised as a safe haven for people who were just queer and wanted to do their thing because there was a lot of clubs that were still kind of discriminatory, you know, um, back then, believe it or not. And so it was, it felt like more like a speakeasy, not so much we were keeping others out, but we were making sure that we were letting the right people in, if that made sense. And uh, let's talk about porn. Do you watch mm-hmm. porn? I do. I do. <laughs> do you often see yourself represented in porn? <clears throat> no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, look, <clears throat> it's hard. It's hard. Like, what is porn? Right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> There's a lot of things that some people would describe as porn that I probably wouldn't. But um, are there people who, you know, are making money selling sex that are trans and have their own content, especially in this digital age when people can, you know, be on Chatterbait or when they can have their own site or whatever they're going to have? Absolutely. Like there's there's people who have their own. Everyone has their own audience these days, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but. Uh, in terms of like mainstream sort of like produced studio porn, no, um, I don't. I don't really like the. This might be quite unpopular to your listeners, but I don't really love the effect that that the adult industry has had on um, relationships, sexual or romantic, between men and women and men and trans women. Okay, so you think that that's something that. Do you think that there's any ways to improve on that in the types of porn that studios create to kind of yeah? I think what ends idea? up happening naturally, just like spicy foods, you know, f- at one point black pepper was spicy, but then eventually you're like, I need habanero, hell, suicide, whatever. Like you <laughs> keep going more and more extreme with your spiciness. Same thing happens in porn. I was gonna where, say, where like- you know, you could just. Yeah. yeah, that is reflected. Ahead, that Mom. is reflected in like just like male, male, like female, female, or male, female porn. Like the intensity of just like you has to get spicier and spicier. I'm like, dude, like I'm just afraid to hook up with people. I'm like, do I have to be like tied upside down and like be choked with like yeah. something crazy? Like I don't know what porn is gonna like gonna. I don't know what the end game it's, is gonna be. There's no end game. <laughs> it's like. It's the the goal is to do what you've never seen before. I don't mean for you, but I mean the goal for the viewer is to see something that they've never seen before that will get them off in a way that they've never had last time. And so they always want to see something more extreme. You know, it could you when you're younger. You know, the first I hear a lot of people say the first time they ever you know got turned on was when they would see somebody's like 
leg or you know, whatever, and then it turns the out Janet Jackson. now they want to see that leg <laughs> being chopped off. You know. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily more extreme, but it's always something new, and people are looking. Yeah, for definitely, but it can it can involve um, a more intense uh, interaction on camera. Um, you know, that can veer into things that aren't necessarily associated with the act of sexual intercourse, but you know, um, situations. You know, you know, rape porn, kidnap the person teacher like it's about the situation it's not about the sex it's about the situations that we're putting people in um and so some of those things i think i mean i think i love i think that it's all great but i do think when because some as someone who's not um in adult films when i have sexual encounters in my private life those actions find their way into my bedroom and so i know that it has an effect and 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 so that's what I don't like. The fetishization of trans within porn? For sure. Yeah. I mean, the only for most people, for many men, I would imagine, I mean, it's it's one of the fastest growing categories um among many uh in, in porn. Everybody knows that. But the um for for it being so popular and making so much money, trans porn in particular, it's so interesting how still how stigmatizing it is within the industry industry, so I hear. Um, it's still so segregated and so stigmatizing within the industry. You know, performers not wanting to, to work with performers who've worked with trans women or or, or other men, um, which is people's prerogative, but it feels kind of discriminatory and it obviously ma- means that it reinforces that segregation. And it also reinforces yeah. some of those stereotypes about who trans performers and bisexual performers and pan- pansexual performers are and their safety you know? Well, yeah, which is the nice thing about everybody, like, like there's so many independent, like, people creating content now that there does seem to be a lot more freedom and, I guess, like, okayness and ethically sourcedness within the porn community because you know that, like, the trans person creating this porn is doing it the way that they want to represent themselves, which is really wonderful. Exactly. But... Since you were you were talking about uh, your dating life, do you want to like tell us a bit about that? You said you just gotten out of a relationship. Are you dating again now? Yeah, I'm not really actively dating right now. I mean, <laughs> Me it's neither. the middle of the pandemic, so like, where am I gonna go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> the best True relationship. That. Really. Honestly, the only one. <laughs> Uh, but when we, you were dating, we hear that you have an addiction to fuckboys. What's up with that? Oh my gosh, it's not really my actual addiction, but it's it's you know the 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 wrong men always end up the being the first one at the door, and uh, and you know it's just like it's I talk with my girlfriends, my trans girlfriends, um, and maybe even some of my cis girlfriends, but definitely my trans girlfriends. The the trans community is surprisingly isolated many of us know each other in in a certain city or area and even online um and all the girls we have all dated or hooked up with the same guys and over and over again i know that's not that unique but it's surprising for because it's it's primarily it's casual sex primarily casual sex um not necessarily on our choice 
but the men that are interested in, in having sex with us or connecting with us are only interested in casual sex. And they're really interested in casual sex with all of us. And so pro- probably at the same time, if they could, um, which means, you know, you, you five out of 10 times, you show a picture of a, a new Tinder match to one of your girlfriends. She's like, oh, honey, I know him. He's going to pull out the, you know, wait until he gets, he, he's got a foot fetish and I'll ask you to pour, you know, bleach on something, you know, like whatever. It's like, what's going on? Um, I mean, it's kind of nice. So, you get like a little, like, like oh, he's got, he's got a maybe I don't want to go down that path. You get like a little warning label. It, no, <laughs> it's always a good warning. That's why we show. Yeah, it's like you're- and be like, girl, does anybody know this person? Because then it'll allow, you know, allow us to, to, to veer clear of the people. But inevitably we end up sharing um, and it's like, wow, well, I had them too. But you have your own little review board. Yeah, we, we review them. We talk about them. Just imagine and a they little always Yelp come back site. Around. Like, he has three stars. If I could give him zero <laughs> stars, I but would. <laughs> the, weir- the weird thing is, you know, not to get too serious here, but the thing that it's, it's I think the reason why these guys are mostly fuckboys is because they really love connecting with us. And they love having sex with us. Because, honey, we are fine. But they just can't handle the the social <laughs> yeah. stigma of being associated with us in public. They don't want to date us. They don't want their friends to know that they're r- around us. And the reason why 2020 was the deadliest year on record for transgender people, mo- primarily trans women of color, is because these same fuckboys, because most of these people, the people who murder trans people, are our intimate partners. Um, the reason why it was the deadliest year on record is because these people would rather kill us than be associated with us or have anyone know that they're having sex with us and so so i wrote a song called best sex kind of it's more light um it's kind of about this subject and how absurd it is i don't want to be around these fuck boys but they just keep everyone they just keep becoming fuck boys because of the social stigma um and so you know it's basically that it's written for the person who has absolutely zero redeeming qualities except for they're really good in bed you know i mean i definitely feel that stigma and obviously like a microcosm of that way but sex work is stigmatized so like dating as a sex worker Mm -hmm. you always get the guy that wants you to be some weird like porn queen or something or is like i can be your stunt cock i'm like seriously i just threw up in my mouth like please stop (laughs) <laughs> what's a stunt cop like if you like go on a date with a guy a and you stunt- tell him that you're a you're a cam girl and he's like oh well if you ever need a stunt cock for content and i'm like oh to like be in the thing but not really commit I'm to like, it just no, be just have experience you. Well, <laughs> well to be fair my my husband is totally my stunt cock but it's because he's not a, a figure in the adult industry only his penis is right so that's that's a stunt cock. got it you know? got it totally got it <laughs> I'll borrow it, but I'll give it back at the end of the day, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, if you could go on a date with anybody living or dead, like, we're going to open it right up. Who would it be, and what would you wear on that date? Oh, my gosh. Jason Momoa. Yes. I saw your parody video about that. I like that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, so what's your type then? Just, like, big and just, like, dominant and manly? I I have lots of different types, apparently, looking back at my... um, history but uh he is definitely he gets my my engines revving for sure uh and and you know what i really like it's a little interesting i kind of have to take balls but when i observe this um 
family unit of the of Lisa Bonet and Jason Momoa and Lenny Kravitz and his and Zoe Kravitz, obviously their daughter. Um, I just think it's beautiful that they're able to kind of keep this love happening um, and this friendship. Obviously, they it seems very clear that they're all friends and and very open, you know. Um, and I just I really admire that. And so um, yeah, I really like Jason Momoa. I think he's beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I'm also a fan of Jason Momoa. I would happily have him be my stunt cock any day. Yeah, like, no, right over please here. come over and pick me up. Just pick me up and set me places. That sounds wonderful. It's true. He probably wouldn't be able to lift me, but. I don't know. His arms are like this big. He's great. He's fucking ripped. I can climb on top of him, though. I also liked in Aquaman. <laughs> he, they actually like just worked in his tattoos into Aquaman instead of trying to cover them up. And I, was I like, think that's great. Right? I was yeah. like, the acceptance of tattoos now. Can you tell us a bit about what it's like to date as a famous performer as well as a trans woman? Do you feel like being famous makes it a lot harder? Because people are like, oh, my God, I know you from blah, blah, blah. On one hand... Well, it's a yes and no. On one hand, it is it obviously um, it 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 can become a little tricky. Uh, I look when you go on a date, you want to just meet the person that's in front of you and just make your own assumption and just get to know each other and start on the same page. When you have like a larger profile or more pro- notoriety, um, it can become kind of tricky. Because you never know how if they know you. And if they do, sometimes they won't say it. And then they know, I mean, you know. And then they know more about you than you know about them. Which is always and weird. Not, <laughs> yeah, it's not my favorite way to start any kind of a relationship. Because it feels like it feels like there has to be a deception on one, on one of our parts. Either I go to this date and don't tell you that I was on TV and on Broadway. Or you, we go to this date... And you don't tell me that you know who I am and that you know everything about me. So what? And, I, and it's like, you know, so I don't really love that part of it. Um, but fortunately, you know, my, the, most of the things that I'm um, well known for doing really, really involve people who have a passion and love for being around queer people. And, I'll, and the last group of people um to like to do those things are generally these days heterosexual identified men cisgender heterosexual identified men they're just not really up in the queerness the way that everyone else is it's like there's everyone and then there's like cis heterosexual men and they just are like <laughs> loners i don't want to generalize but like there's not that many of them that watch drag race more do now than ever before but you know mm-hmm. it's still like everyone else <laughs> Oh, yeah. my man, my man watched like every episode, even if he was like gaming in the corner or something, he would like peek over because and, like, he's you know, evolved. What's going on now? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know him, but yeah. I'm assuming that he is. And obviously, you know, but for, for the the there's a lot of guys who just don't won't allow themselves to go there and see it. It's a good sh- it's obviously a hit. And so, you know, once people see it, then they generally, I think, end up liking it or watching it. Uh, but I think there's a lot of guys that, for one reason or another, just don't allow themselves. Just like they call movies like chick flicks. I'm like, I don't, there's no such thing as a chick flick. Yeah. It's not a chick flick. It's a romantic comedy or, you know what I mean? Like, ch- action flicks are chick flicks too. Oh, you yeah, know? definitely. Anyway. 
<laughs> they absolutely can be. <laughs> I mean, if Jason Momoa is in it, I mean, it's, of course it's a chick it's flick. It's a chick flick. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, on the topic of dating, do you have any dating advice uh, for people who are transitioning? Yeah, it's really difficult to, to, I would say, it's look, it's rough out there in these Tinder streets. And so don't, I'd say don't. I'd say, I think we are all in need of love and validation. And especially if you are beginning be, beginning a, a medical transition, you some of the easiest places, especially if you are in a situation, maybe for some people, their families um, aren't supportive or their coworkers are still trying to figure things out. Because everyone around us, the real transition as the people around us, that those people have to make a sort of mental transition. And so, you know, while that's happening, sometimes you're like lonely and you want like a date tonight. But I'd say be wary because it's it can be, it's a really um, vulnerable time where self-esteem can be really low, confidence can be really low, and you can end up, you know, be in situations that are either dangerous or hurtful, um, and so, you know, I'd say be careful of dating. I know that sounds, I'm not trying to say dating is in, inherently dangerous, but, um, you know. No, but it's important it, to it, highlight, you know, you have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. And if you're not quite exactly, there Exactly. It's that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but the other advice I would say is when you do go on your date, a first date, don't wear any makeup. You know, if you're, if you're. If you're a person that wears makeup or a trans femme, um, don't wear makeup and don't get all gussied up for a first date. Come as real. I mean, you know, take a shower, <laughs> but don't. But but come as just like as as much yourself that they would wake up next to um, as possible. And you know, the first date. I feel like that's good advice for any dating situation. Like, just be your real, authentic self. Because, like, yeah, like, especially the first like two or three dates, like that's when you decide if you really want to like hang out with that person long-term. So if you're putting on this big show, then like, how do they know if they want to date you? I think it's really difficult. I think a lot of people were so trained and used to putting on the show for situations that are unusual because these situations are unusual. These dating situations, they are just unusual, you know? So we touched a bit on your parody videos. I really liked the Jason Momoa yes. one, and I thought the Lion King one was really funny. Oh, oh, the Monica God. and Brandy one was so good. Which one is oh your God, personal so favorite? We talked about Jason Momoa in that video. <laughs> Which one is your favorite? Uh, my favorite parody music video that I'm in, the song is probably the Brandy Monica, uh, The Boy Is Mine uh, okay. uh, with Sherry Vine. But the my favorite... Um, video it's definitely the make me moan video which is uh based on a parody of lady gaga and beyonce's um telephone which is just iconic anyway and and you seem very comfortable making online content you know have you ever thought about starting your OnlyFans? whether it would be to express yourself sexually or even just for your music or maybe a combination of both yeah of course i thought about it especially during the damn pandemic you know and OnlyFans has been quite active in getting people who aren't necessarily sex content creators yeah, onto yeah. their platform. Um, has, we all know this. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I've seen a lot of uh, Drag Race alumni and alum going over to 
uh, having opening their their OnlyFans pages, and I've watched those pages convert from fashion to 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 sex content, which is really interesting. And so maybe that would happen with me. I don't want another thing to run right now. Just the th- the thought of having content that had to live at one website would would irritate me. And so like because I spend a lot of money on my content, and so. And when I do that, it needs to be on every platform, you know? <laughs> like, I would think that somebody with a following like yours, like, let's say, let's say you have a new release coming out in three weeks. Whoa, you can put one minute of that release on OnlyFans and get that, ex- people pay for that exclusive sneak peek, even though it's, it's, it's duplicate content in the end. But I mean, some people might pay for that sneak peek, you know? They do. I have subscribers, but they're on Patreon, which I think for that from that perspective kind of runs similarly in, in terms of that business model. Um, and so I use Patreon for that because it um, I have a very young demographic, believe it or not. Surprisingly young. Many of the people who are followers of mine are like 9 and 10 and 11. Okay, and yeah. so <laughs> I don't know if I want to bring them to my to an OnlyFans no, OnlyFans, you need a credit card to even sign up. So exactly. no one under 18. <laughs> That's really cool, though, that you have, like, fans across the board. Like, what a cool and unique, like, position to be put in to influence people, like, of all different ages. That's really incredible, because I'm sure it, that's, that's... It really is. I think the the younger folks that are, that are followers of mine were brought from their parents um, to me, because I think that they're, like, you know people that have known me for the for a few years who are now parents, which I know sounds kind of crazy, but there are some, um, will introduce me, their kids to the show, to their content, and be like, look, here's Peppermint. And then some of those kids will express being queer or non-binary or something. And the parents will kind of be, you know, say, look, maybe my story resonated with them. I don't know. Um, and I, But I do, I do, um, I don't, I try not to take it for granted. I try to, reflect on how um how special it is you know i've got people that follow me in all different countries and i mean we were just talking last night on our patreon whether we wanted to keep our show uh whether we did change the time of our show to accommodate the fans that are in the uk and i'm looking at my demographic i have a more people that follow me that live in the uk than in on the west coast and so (laughs) that's interesting isn't that interesting yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like, I mean, honestly, I think in porn, I think some of the Mexico was a huge consumer. I found that like when I checked out my stats on Instagram and stuff like that, like the number of Mexico fans was like, and that surprised me. I know you we, never we, know who's going to latch on to your content. You never know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so your Instagram says that you are a horror movie buff. Oh my gosh, don't even ask me. Come do, on. If you, do you have, first of all, I have two questions here. Do you have a favorite horror movie? And if you ever got a chance to act in a horror movie, would you like jump on that? Yes and yes. Um, <laughs> I do have a favorite horror movie. My favorite horror movie is Return, not Night, but Return of the Living Dead, by also by George A. Romero. Um uh, which is kind of like a weird kind of um, zombie comedy. Um, uh, <laughs> a zombie, if the, you would. Yeah, a zombie, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's classic. Um, and, uh, and so that's my favorite. And my favorite genre is zombie uh, movies. And if I would, if, would I be in a horror movie? 
Yeah, I was actually way after, right after I graduated acting school, I auditioned, applied, auditioned, I don't know, to be an extra in a trauma vision um, movie, which is, um, I think a lot of people don't know about them now, but the, it was a studio that made um, these sort of cult classic movies. They're movies. They're movies. Um, <laughs> movies question mark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, their most popular one is The Toxic Avenger, which got turned into a cartoon. It's like this janitor who's like got melted face. Kind of like it's he's like he's like the Incredible Hulk, but if the Incredible Hulk were melted and a janitor. Okay. Um, <laughs> My dream man right there. It, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's probably the inspiration now that I think about it. Um Anyway, the, I, I, they asked me to do this movie. And after the club, I was at the tunnel. And I, there was a, a, a friend of mine who I don't even know their last name, some guy. And I'd seen him a few weeks in a row. So he seemed safe. That was my barometer. And I was like, you have a car? He's like, yeah, I drive in from New Jersey or something. I was like, look, if I pay you $50, will you come up, be in this movie with me and drive me up there and drive me back? And he drove me up. I think he had to leave, and I think I got stranded. It was so scary. Uh, but it was like two hours out of the city, upstate New York. We were driving. We left literally, because we had to be there. It was a Sunday that they were filming. And I worked until 4 a.m. on Saturday night. So we went, got in the car on 4 a.m. on Saturday night, and drove up to whatever. We had to be there at like 8 or 9 or 10 in the morning. Um, and so we drove right to the place. And I was in a hospital scene that was described to me as sort of like the McDonald's drive-through of plastic surgery for this film. And I was like, oh my God. This movie sounds great, by the way. Yeah. And I was in there and there was obviously people with like fake wounds and injuries and things and extra noses on their face and all this weird stuff. And then they, you know, had me up there. It was quite humiliating. They had me up there and then they asked me to like take off my top. And I totally had a, you know, um, Coco from Fame moment, if anybody's ever seen the movie Fame, you know, like, <laughs> where, like, you, I didn't expect to have to, like, disrobe in front of these people, and, and, and I, on film, and, and I, and I did, I shouldn't have done it, I wasn't getting paid, and I shouldn't have done it, but I did it, and I was, I was actually traumatized, and I've oh, never seen the movie, I will not watch the movie, oh. I don't even tell people what movie it is. You know what? I can relate to that because I do some, there are some things I've done that even if I feel like I did a good job, I have a hard time. Like the, the more you watch something, the uglier it gets. Like I have that syndrome, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a bad moment. <laughs> and like, if you, if you were to act in another horror movie, would you want to be like the hero or do you want to be the one that gets murdered? I really would, I, because of my, maybe my ego or my like sense of wanting to survive as a, a human, I think I would want to make it through the film. And you know, there, I've never not seen a black trans woman make it through a horror film, if even being in one. And so that would be great. But there's nothing like a good death scene, you know. But what really irritates me is that horror and musicals are never re- horror, horror and musicals, and and sometimes even comedy are never really recognized as like real bona fide genres of of entertainment you know well you need um, to make a horror musical you need to just mesh all that into one and make it big now oh a horror musical ah, with a I black trans a woman that lives hello <laughs> maybe she's the project. killer there's your next project 
Uh, me and Mel were actually talking about this on uh, Sunday, and we were talking about like crazy like ways that you would die in a horror movie. And okay, yeah, and I was saying that I would want to be on one of those swing rides that you have at the carnival, where you that are just a swing set, and that the chains would break, and I would just fly off into the distance. And oh, then, it's well, like centrifugal force, and it like spins you. Yeah, and then Mel, yeah. what was yours? Actually. I, I had an opportunity that slipped away. Um, so me and another model way back in the day, like I think in 2005 or something like that, we actually got an offer together to do like the intro to a horror movie. And it was a topless part, which is why we were seeked. So we were in this cabin in the middle of the woods. We're topless, we're making out or whatever. And I don't remember how my partner, um, my scene partner would have died, but I would have been running back to the car and then they, they stuck a knife like right in my gut and split me like in half like this. Like up, and I would just go and peel. Oh my god, that sounds like some green screen or something. (laughs) I don't know what the mechanics would be, would have been, but I mean that sounded pretty cool. Like I would sign up. And you turned it down, or you just decided you didn't do it? No, the project fizzled. Oh. Yeah, which is fine, but I was like, I was like, kind of like, oh, I kind of hope this. That would have been cool. Yeah. So what would be your what would be your horror movie death if you had to die in a horror movie? I mean, I think I would rather die in a science fiction movie than a horror movie. <laughs> but if if it was a, if it was able to be a scary movie, but it was science fictiony, I would ra- I would like to like be turned to stone or something, Ooh. and just be a statue. <laughs> oh, immortalized peppermint in like some yeah. fabulous gown, like. <laughs> but I guess the second best thing to that is being turned into. I guess since I love zombie movies. It seems fitting that I would turn into a zombie. I would never want to be undead, but it that's probably since it's one of my biggest fears and guilty pleasures, that could that probably be what happens. <laughs> well, before we uh before we get into the last question here, I have one thing to say to you is that zombies are the only guys that will ever like you for just your brains. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for my true love all this time, and it's been right there. <laughs> and um, and before we do wrap up, I do want to make sure that we talk about your love for science fiction, because I know you are a Star Trek nerd. I am a Star Trek nerd. And I saw that you collect figurines, and I wanted to know which ones which ones are you missing from your collection? Which ones do you need to find? Well, oh, I sure. had the entire... Uh, the, I love all Star Trek. But I'm, but my lead is the next generation. Mm-hmm. Same. And I had all of the figurines as a young, as a, as when I was younger. And I don't know what happened to them. My mom, I swear, my mom like waited until I moved to college, and then like sold everything, and then like put drugged me so that I didn't forgot I ever had these things. I've no, they just all my stuff just disappeared. And the same thing happened to my man with his with my man with his uh, Star Wars collection. Like all these old collectibles, poof, and they just gone. disappeared. Yeah. The parents just threw them away, and they're like, "I don't know what happened." <laughs> and so I'm like, "Mom," so I'm out there to collect again. And so right now I'm rebuilding. I only have three of the eight figures, seven figures that were initially um, launched. Uh, I have um, Will Riker. Riker. I have uh, Jordy LaForge. And my favorite, Tasha Yar. Oh, nice. Oh, and I also have Data. I don't know where Data oh, is. Okay. Data, Data is over there somewhere. Data, Here's Data. 
is fully responsible for my like love for robots. Like it's almost a sexual thing. Like I love, I love Dana robots. was hot. Dana was so hot. And when I found out him and Tasha fucked, I was like, I'm getting some of that robot dick. <laughs> he is, here's Dana right here. Oh, I um, love it. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't have, now this is, this is the real tea. Apparently, Galoob, which is the company that f- created these uh, Star Trek figurines, um, they had no, no... I actually watched the um, series on Netflix called um, The Toys That Made Us, and they had a Star oh, Trek yeah. thing. And so they talked all about this to Toy Maker Galoob. Had no idea what Star Trek The Next Generation was when they were doing it. So there were so many inaccuracies with the, the toys. But... Um, they didn't make some of the key characters. And then they ended up doing prototypes and releasing prototypes of some of the characters that are like super rare. And a few years ago, there was, I found a link that that, like last year, somebody bought um, some of the figures that I was looking for. uh, Dr. Beverly Crusher, uh, her son, uh, Wesley Crusher, uh, just like, uh, um, who else? Just all these other characters that, like, were not in the original thing. Um, and, but there, I can't find. So if anybody hears where I can find a Beverly Crusher, because <laughs> I want somebody in a blue uniform, because I'm like, I want a full, complete, you know, Starfleet. Pe- Peppermint needs a Star Trek wish list topping in here where you can just, like, people I can do. just send you stuff. I might actually p- publish one. Oh, my God. Do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah, we just have one more question for you. Lay it on me. I was just curious, what advice would you give your younger self? You've had such a phenomenal life and career and you still do, but like what advice would you give yourself at the beginning? I would say, you know, whatever whatever you're feeling is right. Just go with go with your feeling. Of course, that message has a lot to do with identity. There's just so many opportunities to 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 doubt and even dislike who we are as individuals, whether it's our body, our weight, our skin color, something about that's something that's natural or innate in us, our sexuality, obviously, our gender. And so, you know, whatever path you need to, there's so many people come to me and ask, what is the way? What's the best way? What's the right way? And there really isn't one. There's no, there's no one way to be a trans woman. There's no one way to be a woman. And so there's, and there's no, if you are a person that's like working on yourself and transition, you know, people ask about when did you stop transitioning or you never stop. Transition is like a whole body thing and it's a whole life. And you're always constantly changing and in transition and learning new things about yourself. And so there is no finish line. There's like, there's just no finish line. Hey, that's solid advice. You know, (laughs) love yourself. All right, are you ready for a quick game of Would You Rather? Yes. No, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's see here. Oh, you know what? I'm going to lead out with the grossest one. Let's do it. Would you rather rather find a $100 bill floating in a club toilet or a $20 bill in your pocket? Wait. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it... Was the toilet flushed? <laughs> um, let's call it pee only. Okay. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I would rather find the $100 bill. I'll get the $100 bill and I can get it. And I can, 
God, money is so dirty. And I could I could bleach it. No, no, no. That's too much work. I'm just going to take it, the money in my pocket. Because if it's like something like that. Now, if it's a million dollars, honey, I'll dive right in. But if it's like, well, if it's just a hundred, I think I'll just get the, the $20 out of my pocket and go to the store like right now. Because I could already have a good meal in my stomach by the time I sanitize that $100 bill. Yeah, no, like no train spotting action. Really. Yeah, no, none of that. Not for a $100 bill. Not worth it. Would you rather have kinky sex or romantic sex? Oh my God, romantic, passionate, connected, uh, uh, loving sex. Uh, Same. 100%. Same. <laughs> Would you rather uh, be with someone who walks around the house naked all the time or someone who wears the most seductive outfits around the house all the time? Gosh, if it was my partner and I and we lived together or we were in each other's space... I guess I would say seductive outfits. God, I hate that though. I hate that I think that. I like the idea of being able to 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 be like enticed by something that they're doing. But I'm a nudist in my apartment, and so I guess I would want to ex- extend the same courtesy. So if I'm always naked, you can always be naked. But it's not sexy mode. It's like not it's sexy mode. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. Getting fat, getting fat on the couch, but naked mode, you know? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. Um, would you rather date a bad kisser or somebody that's bad in bed? Oh, my God. I've dated both. Same. <sighs> <laughs> the bad kissing is so bad, though, because I feel like it reflects on to sexuality. Like, it's like the gateway intimacy. I agree. I think being a bad kisser, being a good kisser is sexy in and of itself. Being bad in bed, I think, I mean, look, most, I I have to say, look, most of the guys that I've had sex with, I would not give them an award for sex. And so I'd say it's easier to be bad in bed. You know, I think being bad in bed is is extremely common. Um, and so I would rather be with someone who's bad in bed, but a great kisser. That's fair. Cause I feel like, you know, there, there's hope for change. If you're yeah. Bad but you can, you bed. can, you can work with it. Exactly. You can work with a, somebody who's bad in bed. You'd be like, here, honey, use this or no, don't touch that. Whatever you could, you can look, but a bad kisser is just a bad, you're, you're, you're not changing it. That's, I know. That's, what, that's, yeah. I've tried to make <laughs> bad kissers into good kissers and you just end up with like somebody sucker. They don't get it. Like, they don't get it. 100% not worth. Uh, one last one from myself. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Would you would you rather have foreplay and no sex or sex with no foreplay? Gosh. I know they're hard, eh? <laughs> I've done both. I've had, I've had more sex with no foreplay than I have foreplay with no sex. Mm-hmm. I feel like fore, foreplay is inevitably going to lead you to sex. But if we're able to become satisfied with just foreplay, then I think I would rather, because it doesn't mean you can never have sex. It just means in one instance, would you rather have? So um, I think I'd say I'd rather have four, really good foreplay um, and no sex um, with a person and be able to do that. But, you know, we'd still be able to have sex when we want to. <laughs> just as a bottom line, we're still having sex at some point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
right, and then the last one is is gonna be uh, during sex. Would you rather play with ice cubes or play with whipped cream? Oh, whipped cream. I am a food junkie down 100%. Whipped cream. I don't want to have, I don't want to be cold and I don't want like cold water on my body parts. No. So yeah, whipped cream. I, I, I'm so glad, I'm so happy when we have guests that are like, ew, cold, because I am one of those ew, cold people, but we have had so many guests that are like, oh yeah, give me the ice cubes, and I'm like, no. no what's happening? I, I what is frozen, this, a science experiment? I put frozen butt plugs up my butt, like, you just keep your house really warm. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> no, You're crazy. No. no. Then it's like, it takes, it, it takes your mind, cold, cold is repelling, yeah. and so it takes your mind, it takes my mind out of it like even if i'm in a sexual situation if i were gonna have something cold i'd be like oh oh something that's cold. like then there's a reaction to just that but if i would rather have something put something on your body that makes your body more delicious <laughs> you know it turns you into a real answer. life snack yeah. <laughs> all right well thank you so much for joining us today peppermint it's Absolutely. been truly incredible and so much fun uh, would you like to share where people can find you and give you a follow? Yeah, I'd love for people to po- follow me on all social media platforms. Pretty much anything, whether it's my 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 Patreon, my Twitch, my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook, uh, my YouTube. You can just go to Peppermint Two Four Seven. They all have this. You can find me by that, or you could just Google Peppermint and Drag or Peppermint queen goddess whatever and it'll eventually lead you to the right spot um i'd love for people to check out my new album uh a girl like me letters to my lovers it's um it's written from the heart and it's it's for it's for trans people but it's honestly it's for everyone because it's about love and the new music video uh every morning which just came out that's out too so please check it out and share 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 that's amazing follow 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 guys and check out that new song because don't forget love is universal thank you guys for tuning in to sex tales see you next time sex squad hey sex squad remember to spank that like button and subscribe on our youtube channel youtube.com slash camming life and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast (laughs) yes